either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry. You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. Well, really one big, much-talked-about national release this week, but uh, some smaller movies and some streaming movies to talk about as well. Glad you're here to do that. This is the Screening Room Podcast, and she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, And we are from MadWolf.com. We'll start with that big national release. It's a 1950s housewife living with her husband in a utopian experimental community, beginning to worry that his glamorous company could be hiding disturbing secrets. Don't worry, darling. Do you even know what the Victory Project actually is? Have you ever asked? Do you? Please. What's actually happening? Stop it, Alice. What if this place is dangerous? What if Stop it! No. Jack. It's okay. I'm curious to hear where she's going with this. I need you to listen to me. They're lying about everything. Everyone is acting like I'm crazy. And I'm not crazy. Our life together. We could lose this. I don't trust him. Well, at this point, it's kind of hard to separate the movie from the pre-release baggage. We've been hearing about this for so long, about the the feuds and maybe somebody's mad and who who got fired and who quit or who, who spit on who spit on someone. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's had a lot of maybe I wouldn't call it hype, but it's just headlines. Yeah, and so now that it's here, it's not terrible, but it's not great either. It's kind of a mixed bag. This don't worry, darling. Yeah, it's funny because it got a lot of immediate, I think, pushback once they start people they started screening it at festivals, and as if it were some sort of just catastrophe. Yeah, and it's really not. I, I mean, don't it's, see that. No, it looks gorgeous. Um, it's choreographed like synchronized swimming. I mean, it's so, but it's just that underneath well, there, of that, there is actual some synchronized is, swimming in is, it. Yeah, but <laughs> underneath of that, it's just it's it's not telling as I think unique a story as maybe it. It feels like it's trying to. That is true. This is the second movie uh, directing uh, effort by Olivia Wilde. Her debut was Booksmart, which, which was very so good. And I think just breaking it down, this film down to a directing angle, it's fine. I mean, it's constr- it's well constructed. It, as you mentioned, it looks great. It does. The production design, the the cinematography, I mean, the vibe that they're going for, this this, as you said in the written review, better homes and gardens on steroids type of thing. Um, so pristine and just so idealized. Mm-hmm. It nails it. They oh, yeah, nail it. Yeah. Because they have a very specific reason to push this vibe so over the top. And they do that. So it looks great uh, on that regard. But yeah, when it gets into what the the script and the story is saying in the script, I had a feeling, I don't know why I did, I had a feeling this was based on some short story or something. Mm-hmm. But it's not, no. as far as I can understand. The screenplay is credited to Katie Silberman, Kerry Van Dyke, and and Shane Van Dyke. Um, and it, it's not that what it's talking about isn't worthy of being talked about. It is. Mm-hmm. It's just that I'm I'm not sure it's as as profound as as they think it is. So once it gets down to business, so to speak, it really seems like a shiny makeover of rehashed ideas. Yeah, what it has going for it mainly is Florence Pugh, yeah. who is 
on fire in this movie. And I love, I mean, I, I have loved her in everything I've seen her in. And one of the things that I think she's so fiercely human and her performances are so intimate. And it's, that's that's the case here. I mean, she's having sort of a series of breakdowns and trying to figure out what in the hell is wrong with her and what's going on in this community. And she just, she's so authentic yeah. and, and fiery and, and wonderful. And she she, she's at her best in the couple of scenes that she has with Chris Pine, who yeah. is also just he's, relishing his great and powerful eyes. Yes, he's perfect as the, the, the real mastermind of this whole thing that holds sway over everybody's life, so much so that he has a radio show every day that they mm-hmm. pretty much must listen mm-hmm. to. You get the feeling that they must listen mm-hmm. to this with his daily affirmations and his daily dose of philosophy. And just the the employees of this victory project, they're all just just in reverence mm-hmm. to him. Oh, is he coming yes. to your house? I mean, it's just like worshiping this guy. And then the men all go off to this mysterious uh, place to work in the morning, and the women just stay home and they do the housework and they cook and then they drink and just hang by the pool and things like that. Um, but yeah, Florence Pugh then her character starts to maybe get some flashbacks, some some nightmares, and then she sees some disturbing thing going on with one of her neighbors, played by Kiki Lane, by the way. And so all this is weird stuff going on, and she just starts to wonder what's really going on here. Plus, she she thinks she sees a plane crash at at one point and wants to go investigate that, and just everything kind of builds up to lead her to start really questioning, and that's questioning doesn't go down very well with Chris Pine and the group at Victory. And so things start to come to a head as she begins to be looked at as a bit of an outcast and a troublemaker. What I think it does well that other stories that sort of tread similar ground is that it it's it's not one dimensional in this it's a very feminist dissection of sexual politics and sexual power and a woman's agency and sort of um uh, the collective how the whole group works together, male and female, mm-hmm. to keep women in their place. Yeah, and and I think that what what it does well is that it doesn't entirely vilify, which is not to say that it's saying that the the people who are are at fault aren't at fault. It's so much harder for Florence Pugh's character because of sincere emotion mm-hmm. that she shares. So I think that the tenderness that they have among the characters is truthful and it also sheds light on on how you can remain in a bad situation in an authentic way yeah yeah i think it talks about what some people are willing to endure for the sake of their prosperity maybe they'll look the other Mm -hmm. way Mm -hmm. for their prosperity that comes into play more with some characters than others don't want to give too much away also it talks about i think it makes it a little more even though it's said in the late 1950s it, it makes it a little more relevant to today in the way that it comments on how easy it is, especially for men, to go down certain rabbit holes that speak to the way maybe they would like their lives to be or feel that they deserve their lives to be. And it also comments on that time in American history that so many people look back to, that's when America was great. Yeah. You know, that's what really... Is it really? Great for who? Right. Uh, great for how many groups of people, or maybe just one. Uh, so it speaks to that. Uh, uh, and so I think it does that pretty well. But again, these are not new ideas. No. And the other thing, is, you said uh, on TV today, was that once it hits that sort of twilight zone moment, mm-hmm. you're likely to 
if you haven't seen exactly what it is, you know something is coming, and it and it could almost feel silly. Yeah, I think it could hit silly for for s- some members of the audience. It didn't really hit silly for me, no. but it certainly didn't didn't land in a really resonant, memorable way. Uh, I figured something. I, I I guessed one part of it. Mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. the second part of it, I didn't. But uh, you figure something like that is coming. But so overall, it's just like we said, it's it's a mixed bag. I mean, there are some good performances. Harry oh, yeah. Harry Styles, who of course has made headlines here, he's fine. He's fine. But but, but you're right. The the draw here is Florence Pugh and Chris Pine, mm-hmm. and especially when they're together. Uh, director Olivia Wilde also has a smaller part, mm-hmm. and she's fine as well. Mm-hmm. So there's talent all over the place here. It just doesn't come together in a in a really memorable way. And also, maybe it just speaks to me. I also got the feeling through a lot of the pre-release hype that it was really breaking some sort of sexual ground as well, which I didn't get at all. There was really nothing memorable. No, I mean it's it's pretty horny, but uh, it's yeah, not. Yeah, but yeah, I, I thought that was pretty muted as well. But but, but anyway, put aside the, all the the scandal or the gossip columns, and you'll find just a, a, a decent. A decent movie. Yeah, it's that, fine. It just doesn't hit. It on, looks good. It looks great. It just doesn't hit on all its storytelling ambitions, I mm-hmm. think. Uh, and that is in theaters now called Don't Worry Darling. Let's go to Netflix next for an action drama. A storm rages. A young girl is kidnapped. Her mother teams up with the mysterious woman next door to pursue the kidnapper. A journey that tests their limits and exposes shocking secrets from their pasts. This is called Lou. This isn't just a kidnapping. What aren't you telling me? We're running out of time. We all have a past. We all have secrets. How do you know all this? Girl Scouts. And Lou is the character played by the great Allison Janney, Oscar winner Allison Janney. And if nothing else, well, really, the casting of Allison Janney is what makes this movie worth seeing. Yes, there's no question because, uh, again, as you said this morning on TV, she plays Liam Neeson. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, she plays the Liam Neeson part, which is essentially what this what this uh, the story is. Um, it's a movie you've seen so many times where, you know, an actor who's not uh, super young anymore plays the character who's sort of a curmudgeon off by themselves, who gets drawn back into this world where, surprise, surprise, what? this old curmudgeon has a particular set of skills. They right? come in mighty handy. Mighty handy. and But, you know, even though, and, and so most of the beats you're going to predict as well, but if you can take that, and they don't really do anything new, to be honest with you, except for the casting. And it's actually quite a different movie, especially the one that really hit me was the climactic fight scene. Mm-hmm. It means it's just quite a different movie in this oh, way. Yeah. And and one of the reasons it works is that Allison Janney makes you believe it. Yeah, she's great in everything. And it's great to see her have a part like this. And it's also co-written by a woman and directed by a woman. So that's going to add to the different perspective as well. And it is. It's it's great to see it, even though it does hit on some very familiar beats that you will guess some things here. But because of this different perspective, yeah, it, it makes it feel fresh, if if only in that way. And if only for the fun of seeing Alice and Jenny do all this stuff, then it's worth seeing, especially if you if you already have Netflix. It's, but, I mean, it's pretty smart. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's pretty fine. smartly written, and formulaic. Is, and she is the neighbor and, I guess, landlord yeah. of uh, Journey Smollett. And 
her character's young daughter. And there is a storm raging. They live in Washington State on the Pacific Northwest. And a storm is coming. And just as it hits, the young daughter is kidnapped. And so Journey Smollett needs her landlord, Lou's, help to try to get the girl back. And she doesn't realize at this time the particular set of skills no. that uh, Alice No, she and just Jenny thinks has. she's a mean old lady. Yeah, but she learns pretty quickly. Yeah. And then, of course, we know that we're going to find out her backstory. How did she come to get all this? And we do, mm-hmm. and, and that's fine. Uh, and it leads the chase um, on the uh, on the trail of the kidnapper and trying to get the uh, get the daughter back. And there's some secrets revealed. And, uh, and you, again, may or may not guess how it wraps up, but it's perfectly fine. Yeah, as it, these films go, it's well made. Yeah, it is. And it's on Netflix. So there you go. If you already have Netflix, yeah. yeah. There's really no reason not to uh, fire it up. I think it's a, it's an enjoyable one of these types of crime action dramas with a fresh twist. And it's just great to see Alice and Janney pretty much in anything. And that's on Netflix now called Lou. Next up is a drama out on VOD now in a small Mediterranean village. Carmen has looked after her brother, the local priest, for her entire life. When the church abandons Carmen, she is mistaken for the new priest, and Carmen begins to see the world and herself in a new light. This is Carmen. I have been my brother's housekeeper from when I was 16. If I cannot stay at the rectory, where will I go? God does not abandon his children. Dear blessed Jesus, help me. Father, my husband, every night he come home drunk. Make him the same food for breakfast, lunch, and dinner until he doesn't come back. Hello? May I help you? I have some things you might like to buy. How did you acquire these? What's your name? Carolyn. My name's Paolo. Why don't you have anyone? No one can blame you for falling in love. It is rare and beautiful. Cheers. Now, don't get confused because there are two Carmens coming out this year. Because we were confused. We were confused. When I sat down to watch this, you told me I I was... I thought you were watching the other one, the (laughs) The musical. musical. This is not the musical, but it's a great movie. Yeah, it's really, really enjoyable. There is a Carmen, an update of the famous opera coming out here soon, I think before the end of the year. But this is not that. This is from writer-director Valerie Buhagiar, and I hope I pronounced that right. And she is from the Maltese Islands. And that's where this is set, with the main character, named Carmen, played by Natasha McElhoney, who is a veteran, always solid. I just don't think I've ever seen her have such a a meaty role, really, Mm -hmm. since Solaris. Right. I mean, I've seen her in a lot of supporting roles, Mm -hmm. but here she is the main star here. Mm -hmm. She's in almost every scene, and she just, she relishes it. It's a fantastic and fun journey of this character because, yeah, she has been basically the housekeeper for her brother, the priest, since she was 16 years old, and now she's in her 50s. And when her brother passes away, the Monsignor says, well, you'll be rewarded for your years of of servitude with a life of bliss. And she's like, when? Well, when you die, of course. <laughs> oh, that doesn't do her much good right now. So in, in, a, in a twist that is a little bit contrived, uh, she is mistaken in the confessional booth for the new priest and starts dispensing this much more practical advice to the townsfolk, especially to the women, that actually improves their lives. So next thing you know, there's a line at the confessional, and the, the box, the collection box, is overflowing. 
And, and, and Carmen just dips into that a little bit with a, <laughs> with a heavenly vow to repay and starts indulging herself and trying to get a blissful life today. Sure. And, and go after things that she never got a chance to before in a little mischievous way. And it is. It's a, it's a great, fun character arc. And it's a, it's a comment, too, on, I think, the writer-director's homeland because as we start learning about Carmen's backstory and what led her to the life that she was living— she comments, the director comments on her homeland's xenophobia, I think, that she mm-hmm. has seen in her life, and also her church's view toward women, yeah, which is not exactly interested in their fulfillment, let's say. Uh, and so that's very well taken, and it's a great character study, and it's a great performance um, in that character study because you really feel, it feels joyous, it feels fun, but it also feels authentic because she doesn't overdo it. You know, once she gets that little taste of of, of some uh, indulgences that she's never had, and she starts feeling a little bit romantic as she as she does her hair and gets some makeup and and starts uh, you know walking around about town, she catches the eye of a few men about town. Especially uh, there's a younger man named Paulo and an older man named Tom that both uh, have some interests. So. She starts to uh, feel some romance in the air as well. And, and it also, I think, harkens back a little bit to that famous opera because her name is Carmen. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's a mistake. I think the the impetuousness of that character from the from the legendary opera, I think, ties into the sort of way that she follows her heart in the end to try to find some some happiness. So it is very enjoyable and a great lead performance by Natasha McElhoney. So check it out. It's on Prime and other VOD services now called Carmen, not the musical. That's, <laughs> that's not his real that's title. That's not the real title. <laughs> it's not the musical version, but it's called Carmen and worth a look. Got a thriller next on VOD. Reclusive and controversial author Bruce Cogburn is drawn out of hiding by an obsessive fan. This is Guy Pierce in The Infernal Machine. You can't make sense out of madness now, can you, Bruce? You got a lot of questions about that book in yours. I know where we are, Mr. Kent. We're at the end of Act Two, aren't we? Where the protagonist reaches their limits. Mr. Cogburn! Questions their sanity. Is there anybody who might have a score to settle with you? You're a coward. You're a coward. And if I find you, I'm gonna kill you. Guy Pierce makes a lot of movies. <laughs> Some are good. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have to say that uh, in the last five years or more, I've seen um, an awful lot of movies that he has seemed like he was cashing a check. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then that happens. It, okay, that yeah. happens. But then you do have a few where he reminds you of of. What a really solid actor that is. Oh, yeah, he can be very good. I would not say this is his greatest performance, (laughs) but it is one where you're like, oh, like he feels invested in this one, and he plays with a lot of, like, you know, sun-damaged makeup on. He plays um, a a reclusive author who has to drive 14 miles to use a payphone booth to call the phone number on these letters that he keeps getting from a fan he does not wish to interact with. and uh, But then he does keep making that drive. 
he does keep calling him back. Mm-hmm. And then you realize pretty soon something about Bruce Cogburn. Maybe he isn't that. Maybe he's reluctant to admit to himself that he's interested in what this new writer finds so fascinating about him. And um, and then when he finally commits and says, you know, if you want to have coffee or whatever, and that's where everything turns because it's as if uh, that hook has been baited and he finally took the bait. And then everything changes. And the movie is definitely a mystery thriller and a bit of a head game. And it's fun. Um, it's not, you know, it's not rocket science. It's not spectacular. Uh, but it is pretty clever in most of the time. And it's not just Guy Pierce who does a good job. Alice Eve, who we I don't see her in enough stuff. She's great. And she is a hoot in this movie. And then also Alex Pettifer, who I think started his career off as a really pretty person who couldn't act and was in terrible movies and has later on shown um, that he has some chops. He plays wildly against type as the shooter whose... Um, Target practice is what made this author sort of notorious. And he does a great job. He's very uh, he's very unnerving, but it's not a one-dimensional psychopath by any means. I mean, he's a very interesting character. He's not on screen a lot, but he does a great job with his time on screen. In the end, I think you're going to see it coming. You'll have figured out the sort of second twist that they're hoping you don't really see coming. Um, but it's a pretty fun movie to watch anyway. Kind of a head scratcher that keeps your attention. And that is called The Infernal Machine, out on VOD now. Next is a crime drama in theaters. After escaping a Michigan prison, a charming career criminal assumes a new identity in Canada and goes on to rob a record 59 banks and jewelry stores while being hunted by a police task force. Based on the story of the Flying Bandit, this is just called Bandit. I want some capital for an out-of-town job, and I hear that you are the guy that I'm supposed to talk to. I'm in. To partners in Rye. Whose place is this? Ours. What? Still nothing out of mine. Not a thing. Nothing is a ghost. Where'd he go? Kill him with success, bury him with a smile. What do you think he's trying to hide? I gotta do just one more. One last one. Yes, I, I think I just witnessed a bank robbery. How many more of those do you think you can do just like that? This goes down now or we start a loop. I'd like to make a credit card payment for you. Oh, God save the queen. Anyone seen this guy? How would you like to pay for that? Cash. Brandon Thomas reviewed this one for us. And I have to be honest with you. I thought, much as I did with Infernal Machine, I thought that this was going to be one of those bad straight-to-VOD Geezer teasers, not that Josh Dummel is a geezer, but it's one of the 150 movies out this year co-starring Mel Gibson. Man, yeah. And most of those are garbage. Yeah, no, this, this is... This was a, a, a fun uh, a surprise. Yeah, and it's in theaters as well. Uh, yeah, Brandon had a, had a good time with it, mm-hmm. and yeah, Mel Gibson is the support yes. to Josh Dummel and Alyssa Cuthbert uh, as his wife, as based on, I guess, some sort of a... I don't know how closely it's based to this right. Flying Bandit, but it sounds like a, a fun sort of story that probably would warrant mm-hmm. a movie, and here it is. So, and yeah. it's one of those heist films that, that yeah. doesn't take anything too seriously. It's a fun... There are some silly silly costumes that he wears. It's just fun. And who doesn't like a heist film? <laughs> Something about them. They're just fun. And definitely check out Brandon's review of Bandit. It's up at madwolf.com now. But yeah, he liked it in theaters now. A sci-fi thriller next on VOD. A desperate writer signs up for a fully AI-operated retreat to cure her writer's block, but when an unforeseen software glitch occurs, she gets trapped inside her unit 
with an unstable android and no communication with the outside world. It's called Blank. Hello? Welcome to the retreat, Miss Rivers. It's a pleasure to finally meet you. Your personalized assistant is being customized as we speak. Claire, we are experiencing some internal issues. I don't understand. What, what does that mean? Are you close to the end? I don't have an end yet. I know my end. You do not know yours. No! The manifest was erased. No one knows you're here. I'm gonna die in here. Claire, stay with me. Claire. My name is Rita. I will be your assistant for the next 30 days. Tori Haynes reviewed this one for us and liked it as well. So another winner. And it's, you know, I don't know how many horror movies are based around the horrific idea of writer's block. (laughs) But here's another one. And it's a fascinating idea because to cure her writer's block, she goes to this retreat where there are two robots who are there to help her find her way and one of them goes completely nuts and that's the horror of it she's stuck here with somebody who is going to force her to write her manuscript which is kind of a fascinating and funny nightmare and it also sounds maybe a little bit gimmicky but the the movie makes it work out really well it's charming it's creepy it's well done you know obviously it's going to make you think of misery because an author being forced to write Mm -hmm. but in a Totally different setting. Yeah. And this also features Wayne Brady, <laughs> which gets a thumbs up from me. So uh, check that out. That's on Prime Video now. It's called Blank, and you can get Tori's full review at madwolf.com. All right, time to check in with Daniel in the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Daniel Baldwin, a.k.a. the Schlocketeer, getting us up to date on the latest news and notes. What's going on? XYZ Films has set an October 28th VOD release for their cannibal horror movie, Feed Me. And Universal has set a December 2nd theatrical release for their bloody action comedy, Violent Night. What is Violent Night? Well, it's Die Hard with Santa Claus. Uh, The plot centers around a family being taken hostage on Christmas and only Santa can save them. It's directed by the Dead Snow filmmaker Tommy Workola. The action is handled by the John Wick crew. John Leguizamo is playing the bad guy and David Harbour will be Santa. Okay. Die Hard with Santa Claus. I'd say it's about time. Right. Somehow they got to get Santa in bare feet. Naturally. <laughs> uh, Sonny has set a January 6th release for their horror film, True Haunting. And Steven Soderbergh's next movie, Magic Mike's Last Dance, will arrive in theaters on February 10th next year. Sony has set a February 24th release for their searching sequel titled Missing. Ah. That was... I didn't even know that was coming. <laughs> Searching was was pretty effective for what it was doing. Yeah, it wasn't bad. And Sonny's also moved up the release of their Adam Driver sci-fi film 65 from April of next year to March, so a month earlier. Taika Waititi's soccer comedy, Next Goal Wins, is getting an April 2023 theatrical release, courtesy of Disney. And Disney's new Haunted Mansion movie has been pushed back from March 2023 to August 2023. Mm. Not sure why they didn't move it to September or October, but yeah. Hey. <laughs> and now I've got a bunch of Disney and Sony announcements and shifts. The Sony ones are all going to be theatrical, but some of these Disney ones might end up being Disney Plus releases. First up, Patty Jenkins' Star Wars movie Rogue Squadron has been pulled from its December 2023 release date, which isn't a, a surprise. I mean, it hasn't even gone into production yet. Uh, no new date's been set for it, and we likely won't get one until plans for it are 
actually finalized, mm. but given how much Star Wars stuff is on Disney Plus right now, yeah. they're going to be wanting for content. Right. Uh, Sony's Spider-Man adjacent anti-hero movie, Craven the Hunter, has been pushed back from January of next year to October of next year. And that's the one starring Aaron Taylor-Johnson, Ariana DeBose, um, Russell Crowe, and Alessandra Nivola. Disney Animation's movie Wish will hit theaters in late November 2023. And because Craven moved to October of next year, the Dakota Johnson starring Madam Webb has been pushed from October of next year to February 2024. Mm -hmm. And both are set in the same universe as the Venom movies. Oh, okay. Uh, Pixar's Elio has been set for a March 2024 release. The live-action remake of Snow White will arrive in March 2024 as well. The Garfield movie that Sony had previously set for February 2024 will now arrive in May 2024. Sony has set some sort of Karate Kid movie for June 2024, but it's apparently not tied to the uh, still popular Cobra Kai series that's on Netflix, so I'm not sure how well that will do. I, I hope that's the title, some sort of Karate Kid movie. <laughs> <laughs> it would be a way to differentiate it. <laughs> Pixar has set... Inside Out 2 for June 2024, and Barry Jenkins, of all people, has directed a prequel to John Favreau's The Lion King. It's titled Mufasa and will come out July 2024, and the last one I have for you is Sony has dated an untitled Marvel movie also for July 2024, and my guess is that's going to end up being Spider-Man 4. Uh-huh. Well, that's a lot to digest there. That uh, will cover us for uh, two weeks since we won't be talking to you next week, so thank you. Hey, thanks for having me. Okay, looking ahead to next week. Well, we are taking next week off because we'll be on the road with our film, Obstacle Corpse. Cannot believe it's time to start taking it to film festivals, but it's time. Yep, our very first one, Horror Origins in Tucson, Arizona. And so it begins. And if you'd like to check out the trailer just released today, as we are recording this, we just released the trailer this morning. Obstacle Corp. So check it out on all of our usual socials. Uh, MadWolf.com is the main website. Also on Facebook and Instagram, it's MadWolf Columbus. And you can follow the film itself has its own socials. Yes, you can. On Facebook, it is Obstacle Corpse Film. On Instagram, it is also Obstacle Corpse Film. And on Twitter, it's Obstacle Corpse X. A very exciting time after all this time and all this work. It's finally happening. It is. Never thought this day would come, <laughs> but it's almost here, and it starts with a trailer. And as always, you can keep the conversation going about any of the movies that we talked about uh, today or the last couple of weeks or anything you're looking forward to. You can always catch up with us on Twitter. That's at MadWolf, M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F. So a lot going on. Keep in touch if you can. We'll talk in a couple of weeks, and until then, she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap. <laughs>